What's up, friends? Before we hop into the show, I got to tell you about the delicious, smooth Strava Craft Coffee. You guys know about Strava. It's the rich CBD-infused coffee. You can get this in any form you want. K-cups for a Keurig, whole bean, or ground, and you can't go wrong as long as you're getting your hands on some Strava. Guys, Strava is delicious coffee, and it also has the benefits of CBD, which helps relieve headaches, migraines, pains, aches, anything that's going on with your body, including the jitters that coffee can give, Strava helps with that. And use the code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire online purchase. So make sure you use that code DNVR20. All right, Mace, let's hop into the show. Broncos country is sitting in the south stands, drinking the curves from mile high, the best part of the Hugging a perfect stranger as they become a friend. Having a good time when the orange and blue WIN. Tuning in every day with the good folks down DNVR. Welcome into the DNVR Broncos podcast on this terrific Thursday. I'm your host, Zach Stevens, joined by my main man, Andrew Mason, Ryan Koningsberg on assignment today. And before we hop into the show, I got to tell you guys about our presenting sponsor, MSU Denver Online. Guys, there's never been a better time to go and, and check out MSU Denver Online because we're all stuck in our homes anyway. Might as well get an education, whether it's one class, whether it's a program you want, whether uh, you want to start your degree or finish your degree, MSU Denver Online is the perfect place for it. They've already mastered the online scene. When all these other colleges are going online, MSU Denver has already mastered it. So go and check them out at msudenver.edu slash online to see all they have to offer, including over 40 online and hybrid programs and 750 classes. So anything you want, they can provide it for you. Mace, my boy, how are you today? I've been better. I'm hanging in there. Um, <laughs> My arms bother me, so I have a brace on my wrist. Uh, I stepped on a dog toy on the stairs, and I turned my ankle. Oh, no. On a stair? That's the worst. Yeah. Because you're not expecting it, and yep. you lose your balance. Yep. I mean, it could have been worse. I could have fallen all the way down the stairs, and instead I just kind of crumpled a little bit. So... Oh, gosh. One, one I, little cast is all we need on you uh, today, Mace. I, I'm a walking Mardi Gras right now. I'm just fabulous. <laughs> you got a fabulous shirt on. I love it, too. You're, you're, Thank it's, you. It's kind of like a subtle Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, I put this on before I turned my ankle. So <laughs> if I had gotten dressed after turning my ankle, then I might have worn a a darker shirt. I might have come in <laughs> less than a sunny mood. Not that it, I, mean, I probably people can probably sense that I'm not in the best of mood, but I'm gonna put it together and I'm gonna figure this out. We're gonna make a show. I think. <laughs> I hope. And you've got the uh, you've got the Tar Heel hat on that with the North Carolina blue. Yeah. Well, we're now at the point where the hair is starting to get a little bit long again. I actually scheduled a haircut for next Tuesday. With my luck, the Broncos will schedule a media availability for next Tuesday, and I'll have to change it. <laughs> yep, of course. I, I don't think they want you to get your hair cut, so I think they're listening, and Patrick's mm, going to change that. <laughs> I hope not. I, I got to say, the only hat 
that I've really ever worn in my life was a UNC visor. I got it sometime in elementary school. I have no idea why I got UNC, no idea how I got it. And I wore it all the time, went on a boat in Grand Lake and the hat flew right off. And uh, since then I've never really worn hats. So I have a special place in my heart for UNC visors and hats, Mace. Well, if it's a visor, is it truly a hat? Or for it to be a hat, does it have to cover everything up a and b when you said unc i figured you being a colorado guy it was <laughs> no, going to no. be a northern colorado hat no absolutely not i don't know what their visors would look like uh it it, it was the uh the, the blue and the blue unc wow nice yes yeah. yes sorry that you lost it somewhere in grand lake <laughs> yep it's probably still there unfortunately and it's probably somewhere at the bottom of the to the bottom of the lake. <laughs> yep, probably maybe, not that maybe, baby blue anymore. Maybe fish used it for a home. I don't know. <laughs> I hope it went to somewhere good. So I hope that one doesn't go in the lake. And Mace, while we haven't talked to uh, any Broncos in the last couple of days, Melvin Gordon hopped on the Rap Sheet and Friends podcast with Ian Rappaport and had some interesting things to say. We both listened to it. What did you take away from that, Mace? Well, he really does not think the Chargers were a good fit for what he did best, but he thinks the Broncos are going to be a better fit. He alluded to the fact that Denver will do some more inside zone stuff. He feels like the Chargers really didn't play to his style. As he said on this quote, it didn't really play out to my strengths, especially the first couple of years there. I had to, I just, I kind of had to just adjust and make it work it kind of wasn't a system built for me but I feel like Denver kind of runs my style of football and I think it's a great fit so it's a chance for him to do that kind of inside zone and some outside outside zone stuff those are the types of holes that you see open up when you're playing at Wisconsin and certainly what would have first gotten him on the Chargers radar back when they drafted him out of Wisconsin a few years ago it's an opportunity for some downhill running and so when yeah, when he was working at Wisconsin, the, the hole flashed open. He went to it, and it was straight downhill. That's something the Broncos should give him a chance to do. So that's one thing that I took away from it, that stylistically he feels like Denver is going to be a better fit than the Chargers were. So the, the first thing I thought was, wow, he, he really could have his best years ahead of him. And then I thought, well, I'll be able to talk to Andrew Mason about this, Mr. Wisconsin football, and Mason – is this true? Does this all check out? Uh, does Denver play more of a Wisconsin type of football? And will they this year under Pat Shermer, uh, as opposed to what the Chargers have done? Well, they're going to get there a slightly different way because you see more power concepts from Wisconsin than perhaps you're going to see with Pat Shermer because it's going to be a, a zone blocking base. Now, the way the, the, way the holes flash open, I mean, you can, you can use power blocking. You can get to some inside – and you can get to some inside zone stuff. And the way the holes are going to flash open, it's going to look like it did at Wisconsin. And then it becomes a matter of him making the guy miss at the second level as to whether it's going to be a moderate gain or a huge gain. Now, I'm not expecting that he's going to pop off for 16 yards of carry like he did with that game against Nebraska, I believe, back in mm-hmm. – back in 2014, but he should still be pretty productive. The last two years at Wisconsin, he was north of 4,000. He was a 
north of 4,000 yards combined in those, in those years. So I don't think he's going to be running like that, but I think he's going to see, see the types of holes flash open that he, that he did see at Wisconsin. And the fact that he's attuned to reading those holes as they develop, and it's sort of the understanding that in terms of zone type stuff, the hole is going to flash and that's going to go. So you've got to read, make one cut, and be decisive and go quickly. These are these particular tenets have been in the Broncos offense for most of the past 25 years, yep. going all the way back to when Mike Shanahan first arrived. So that, I think, is going to suit him well. It, now, it may look different than perhaps the classic Broncos offense because – there's going to be more work in the shotgun. There's going to be more things that, and, and even different than Wisconsin because of a little more work in the shotgun. But I think the effect is going to be the same for him. Shotgun under center for a running back. When you're reading the holes as they flash, it's pretty similar. Yep. And the, the one cut system, like you've said, has been around for Denver for the most part of the last couple decades. He said, this is going to quote, help me get back to what I do best and that's of course what you want for every player and it's interesting that as a first round pick and as the staple of their of their running game at least for the first couple years when he was there that the Chargers didn't do this that that the Chargers took him and tried to put a square peg in a round hole and that clearly didn't work and this Mace this probably gives me the most confidence that he can have above a 3.9 yards per average um, this year because he's only done that once in his career. And that is very concerning Uh, of all the positives that come with Melvin Gordon, that he can, um, you know, be a good receiver out of the backfield. He's good on third downs. He's good in the, in, in the red zone. The concern that you can't really wipe off is every single year, but one, four out of five years, he has rushed for under four yards per carry throughout an entire year. He went for 5.1 yards per carry in 2018, which, of course, what you would take in, in a heartbeat. But this gives me hope that he's going to be closer to the 5.1 yards per carry than the 3.9 yards per carry. He doesn't have to be a 5.1 to be a success, but he does need to be over four yards per carry to get $8 million a year. No doubt. And he not only needs to be above 4.1 yards per carry, he also needs to be at about eight yards catch. That's something that I think he can get to. What's interesting is that while he flourished as a receiving back, he didn't really show that that often at Wisconsin. It's fascinating to see how he developed in that area because he never had more than 19 receptions in a single season at Wisconsin. Wow. He was straight up on the ground bell cow. Now they were coming off of Russell Wilson and they had a, pretty decent void at quarterback there for a few years after Wilson left and Melvin Gordon kind of got caught up in that unfortunately so the op- they, the opportunities weren't necessarily going to be there and that wasn't going to be their point of emphasis but he did develop that skill set so let's say Melvin Gordon seeing these inside and outside zone concepts let's say he's able to turn back the clock a little bit in terms of what he does yep as a runner. And then if you can get him back to eight yards, a reception in the passing game, you've got something pretty devastating here. Yeah, you, you really do. And you say eight yards per carry or eight yards per catch mace. He's done that in all but two years, his rookie year 
and last year. And last year, it's easy to write off as an outlier because of, you know, he held out the first many games of the season, came back at Austin Eckler. But in those three years in between, 10.2 yards per catch, 8.2 yards per catch, and 9.8 yards per catch. In the last four years, he's averaged right around 45 receptions for roughly 425 yards. You get that with, what, four and a half yards per carry, 4.4 yards mm-hmm. per carry, something along that ballpark. Like you said, Mace, that's, that's something to reckon with because then you don't know what he's going to do when he's on the field. You're not tipping your hand by putting Philip Lindsay on the field or putting Melvin Gordon on the field. Okay, now let me throw a little bit of cold water on this, unfortunately. Oh. Sorry. Ooh, it, does it have ice in it? Well, it's cold, so it's got to have some ice <laughs> at some point, right? Either it's there's ice in it's cold enough to sustain the ice cubes. So Oh, we're talking cold water. For a little while, okay. so it's cold, all right? Now – the last couple of years, Pat Shermer's offenses with the New York Giants, they had Saquon Barkley as a bell cow running back, and the Giants ranked 10th and 7th in 18 and 19 in yards per carry, respectively. Okay. Now, let's go through Pat Shermer's previous seasons as either offensive coordinator or head coach. 09, St. Louis, 11th in yards per attempt. 2010, St. Louis, OC both years, by the way. 31st in yards per attempt. Oh, yikes. 2011, Cleveland head coach, 30, 31st in yards per attempt. Oh. 2012, Cleveland head coach, 21st in yards per attempt. Now he goes to Philadelphia's offensive coordinator. They're first in yards per attempt in 2013, but remember who's taking the huge role in calling that offense? It's Chip Andy. Kelly. Oh, Chip, right, right, yep. And that caught everybody by surprise. 20, 2014, 15th in yards per carry, again, still with Chip Kelly. 2015, 21st in yards per carry, again, same thing with Chip Kelly. On to Minnesota, the Vikings in 2016, 32nd in yards per carry. 2017, 23rd in yards per carry. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. So all this hope comes crashing down. (laughs) Well, your hope is based on the last couple of years. With Saquon Barkley. Right. Can Melvin Gordon be Saquon Barkley? Look, Saquon's kind of a unicorn, so I can't expect him to do, to, to do that. But can he maybe approach the yards per carry production of Saquon Barkley and, ha- and at least get the Broncos to where they're in the top half of the league in terms of yards per attempt and can rely on this running game? That's what you're hoping for right now. But in terms of the per carry production – there's some alarming numbers there. Uh, that's fascinating, Mason. And, and, of course, Mace killing us with facts right there. Even and... though everyone's going to be like, no, no, no. People are going to be like, I'm neg- <laughs> Mace is being negative again. Negative, <laughs> No, no. And w- would I rather have Saquon or Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon? I'd rather have Saquon. Easy. But there's, that's a pretty darn good backfield in Melvin and Philip Lindsay. I mean, two Pro Bowl running backs right there, more Pro Bowls than Saquon right there. Um, so you're not taking a big step back in, in that range. But Mace, we've kind of hinted on Philip Lindsay and how he fits into this role. And Melvin Gordon talked about that when he was talking with Ian Rappaport. And Melvin was honest. He said, uh, first off, the first thing he said was, I know Philip wasn't happy with me signing here. And another thing he said was, I don't know how, how our roles are going to be defined, how everything's going to be split up. 
Yeah, but he also talked about the notion of being the bell cow back. Yep, he did. He did. And those two words jumped out. Now, the reality is that Pat Shermer historically prefers one back to carry the load. Not a split, unless there are injuries that come into play, like with the Vikings in 2017 when Dalvin Cook went down early in the season. It's He would prefer to look more like it did with the Giants the last couple of years with Saquon Barkley doing a lot of the heavy lifting. And so when Melvin Gordon talks about the notion of being the bell cow back, what does that leave for Philip Lindsay? <laughs> yep, it, it leaves a, a lot of frustration and anger, I would imagine, because Melvin said he already knew Philip was upset that mm-hmm. he signed. And boy, if Melvin at $8 million per year compared to $750,000 from Phil takes on yep. that giant role, like the money would say, well, then it's going to be just like that. And he said, this is a great system to really be the guy. Yep. The guy. Not guys, not one of the guys, <laughs> yep. Yep. the guy. Yep, and, and the way he talked about the dynamic between he and Phil, saying that you know he hasn't heard exactly what the roles are going to be, it really sounded like a guy that was getting $8 million per year compared to a guy that was getting seven fifty. where he was saying, in the way that he was saying it was like, he's not worried about the role because he knows his role. He knows that he's mm-hmm. the guy. Yeah, so you wonder what, what is going through Philip Lindsay's mind. Yep. Yep. Not he can't be happy. Because no. not not only did they sign Melvin Gordon, he also hasn't got the the paycheck that he was hoping for to get this offseason. Um, and he's a guy that, like we talked about yesterday, he's gonna have that chip on his shoulder. Well, now he's definitely going to have that chip on his shoulder. This is something where you start wondering about what level of frustration could develop yeah over time yep yep and is it Lindsay is it week one is it in training camp is it week eight when when Phillips still hasn't got double digit uh, touches in a game um is it what did Philip Lindsay do to deserve to deserve losing prominence honestly nothing nothing absolutely nothing just the the fact that he's a quote small back and uh, some people, especially in the NFL world, don't believe that he can last through 16 seasons of being the guy. The old prejudices coming through. Now, the, the thing with Phil Lindsay is you always want to have another back there. But we've talked about this time and again. You look at, say, Warwick Dunn back in the 90s and early 2000s, and he was a small back that had a lot of success. And Phil Lindsay, I've thought, could have a similar arc in his career as long as you had somebody as a number two or a 1A to take the pressure off him but Melvin Gordon he's not being paid like a 1A he's clearly not thinking in terms of being a 1A and being part of a fairly equitable timeshare when he says things like bell cow when you look at that contract that's a running back one Yes, without a doubt. That all screams that, and it's a one-two, not a one-and-one-A. Yeah, it's it's a really good point. And Mace, where did he find this out? Because he's saying that he doesn't know his role. He doesn't know exactly how the dynamic's going to be. Well, my opinion, this is just a guess, is that it was when he signed 
they said it was it came from the top you know John Elway Vic Fangio Pat Shermer said you are going to be the guy look we have a system that fits you perfectly I mean maybe it was this exact conversation that Melvin had about you know we run a similar offense to what you did at Wisconsin in terms of the the blocking Mm -hmm. scheme uh and it really fits to be the guy maybe this is where he got this from um and then of course like I said the financials back that too and the fact that he's not worried about it kind of makes it seem like he's been told, yep, this is absolutely your job. Well, there are only seven running backs right now that have an average per year value on their current contract of $8 million or greater. And Melvin Gordon is one of them. Mm. Could could, could you have that list up there? Yes. Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, Derek Henry, Kenyon Drake, Melvin Gordon, Saquon Barkley is just, a little bit behind that, he's at just a tick under $7.8 million per year in terms of average per year value. But remember, that's a, that's a first contract as a right. high draft pick. Leonard Fournette settles in right behind him. Austin Eckler got that nice contract, yep. but it's an average per year value of $6.125 million per year. Yep. Now, yep. it's a four-year deal. So he ends up getting more guaranteed than Melvin Gordon getting $13.5 million guaranteed over two years. But it is interesting. So you And actually really the full see... guarantees, not the total guarantees, the full guarantees on Eckler and Melvin Gordon are exactly the same. $13.75 million, or, or they're close, sorry. Eckler's $13.75 million, Gordon is $13.5 million. So their full guarantees are only separated by 250000 even though Eckler's contract is two years longer than Melvin Gordon's. Yep, yep. And you don't really see those guys in those top seven as being 1A, 1B guys. You don't oh. see Christian McCaffrey uh, splitting his role. You don't see Saquon – or not Saquon, Zeke splitting his role. And, of course, I mean, you don't see that with Saquon either. But it's, it's, it's fascinating. And, and I know that, that Ryan – would would probably say something along the lines of, "Well, this is just going to give Philip Lindsay more of a chip on his shoulder." And I, oh, I completely I have, agree I, with that. I agree with that one hundred percent. And I know that if and when Philip Lindsay gets out there, he's going to ball out. Yep, I have because no doubt he, about that. He will play with intensity because one of the things that has always fueled Philip Lindsay is, "Yeah, you know what? I'll show you. Right. I'll show you. I shouldn't. I, I should have been drafted." And, I'll and show I, you that I should have had that I should have a bigger role. He has that he has that un, that classic undrafted chip on the shoulder that yep. Chris Harris Jr. had has and had that Rod Smith had and and really still has because if you bring up the draft to Rod Smith to this day, he will get a little bit upset about that. <laughs> about that that we're we're 26 years after the 1994 draft and Rod Smith still has a chip on his shoulder. going undrafted out of Missouri Southern yep and Philip Lindsay will probably always have that chip on his shoulder but here's the thing Philip Lindsay's not blind to this he he's not putting blinders on and saying nothing's changed I'm still gonna be the guy when he talked with Terrell Davis on Instagram live a couple of weeks ago and we talked about this uh he said you know I I all I need is five six seven eight nine touches in order to break one in order to get in the end zone he's already putting himself in that mindset of I'm probably only going to, or not, not probably, but I may only get single-digit touches per game. But, hey, give me one, and I'll turn it into a touchdown. That's, that's the mentality that you want. But at what point, 
And of course, no one hopes it gets to this, but at what point does five carries per game for a five game stretch turn into instead of uh, fuel on the fire uh, when he's on the field, when does it turn into, um, you know, a, a bad dynamic? going on in that running back room and what is that number is it five touches per game is it 10 is it 15 is it two you know uh, I, I would be giving the ball to Philip Lindsay a lot but it's clear it's becoming more and more clear that this is Melvin Gordon's job well you're saying five carries per game that's 80 carries over the course of a season that's not you know how many players had more than 80 carries last year Oh, boy. I'm going to say 40. 53. No. And that includes some quarterbacks, by the way. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I, I can't think it's going to be actually Yeah, that includes four quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson had 176 attempts. Oh. Josh Allen had 109. <sighs> Kyler Murray had 93. Deshaun Watson had 82 rushing attempts oh yikes yeah that would probably cause some controversy oh my that would oh it's going to be interesting especially because we haven't talked to phil uh this offseason so that'll be interesting once we get that opportunity mace there was one more thing from melvin gordon's conversation yesterday uh the first person he called right before making the decision to sign with the broncos was Vaughn Miller, and you noticed something interesting about what uh, what Melvin wouldn't tell us about that conversation. Yeah, it was fascinating because he talked about reaching out to Vaughn Miller about Denver. Hey, tell me. Tell him what's going on. And Melvin Gordon said, Vaughn, quote, kind of gave me the scoop, unquote. <laughs> and obviously it was enough for Melvin Gordon to be compelled to sign with the Broncos. But when Ian Rappaport kind of pressed Melvin to find out what the details were, he clammed up a little bit and kept that to himself. (laughs) And the thing that I just find myself wondering is this. Usually in that sort of exchange, if there's nothing but good things, the player will kind of spill it a little bit, right? Yeah, certainly. <laughs> certainly. I think Vaughn was I think Vaughn was pragmatic. I don't think he was sitting there ripping the Broncos or anything like that, but I think he was realistic about where the team has been the last few years and where it could go. Yep. Hey, it's been a bit of a struggle. Here's some of the things that have happened. Here's the positives and negatives of Vic Fangio, who you're going to be playing for as the head coach. And here's where it might go in, in future years. And also here's sort of what to look, look for positive and negative on the organizational side of things. Yeah. My assumption is it really all had to do with Vic because Vaughn doesn't know what Pat Shermer is like. He probably hasn't even met him. So it couldn't have been with the offensive coaching staff. Really. It couldn't have been with the offensive scheme because Vaughn doesn't know that by heart. Um, and is Melvin Gordon asking questions about, John Elway in the front office I wouldn't really think so I think it'd be more day-to-day stuff that he's asking so uh, about Vic um, and clearly Vaughn said enough good stuff because Melvin signed just later on after that conversation Um, and it was interesting Melvin said 
he was trying to describe his relationship with Vaughn, saying that he's been around him for a long time because Melvin Ingram and Vaughn are really good friends. Uh, and Melvin Gordon and Melvin Ingram are really good friends. So he's hung out with him a lot. He said that he thinks he's closer with Vaughn than a lot of the current Broncos teammates, which is fascinating. So clearly Vaughn is a good buddy with Melvin and uh, clearly had a role in bringing him here. Yeah, it doesn't really surprise me that he would. And don't forget, Melvin Gordon, here he's going into year six of his career. And on the Broncos, that makes him an elder statesman. Yes, it does. <laughs> Von Miller, of course, going into year 10. But Melvin Gordon and Von Miller, they've gone against each other a few times. Things have uh, built up. And obviously, not in terms of enmity, in terms of, of respect for each other. So those things are worth considering. But I think it's, it's kind of interesting that uh, Melvin Gordon and Von Miller are already pretty close. Not a bad thing, but it's interesting. Yeah, it, it is interesting. And uh, the final thing that I'll throw in here, speaking of teammates, Melvin Gordon is still working out with a bunch of his former Chargers teammates because he can't get to Denver right now. Uh, said Keenan Allen, Derwin James, and Melvin Ingram, let him have it about signing with the Broncos. Um, it doesn't seem like there's hate at all no. between him and his former teammates signing with a division rival. But it, it is going to make for a very fun couple of weeks when the Broncos play the Chargers. That sort of hate is usually more of a fan thing. Right. Yep. And maybe it's hate for – maybe there's hate or frustration with a coach or a GM or something, but it's not a player-to-player player thing. Like, I think Chris Harris Jr., when the Chargers and Broncos face off, there's going to be a lot of love between Chris and his former teammates. Yeah, without a doubt. The without motivation doubt. isn't going to come from guys from showing guys in that locker room. And the same thing for Melvin Gordon. It's not going to be, well, I got to show Keenan Allen. I got to show Melvin Ingram. I got to show Joey Bosa. It's, it's not like that. There, there are other factors. And it's one thing that I think people are probably going to kind of overblow a little bit. And, and I think, and I get that it, there's a little bit more tribalism in the fan perspective on things than there is from the players, because, you know, these guys are just playing for contracts, you know, you, and you're a mercenary to some degree, just yep. kind of just a, a different take on it than, than the fans may have. Well, and, and especially with Melvin, uh, he's a guy that is just always smiling in the, in the few interactions I've had with him already this off season. He's such seems like such a fun guy to be around. Fun loving. I mean, very similar to Von Miller in a way where I'm not surprised that those two guys uh, get along. One thing that is good when you're getting along with people, if you are <laughs> hanging out with friends, whether via social distance, whether via social distancing, or let's say you're having just a couple of people over that small group, you're limited to ten in some spots. You always want to have a little brew. You always, always want to have a little Breck brew, the official beer of DNVR, of course, supporting our partners and supporting us during this crazy time. Now, if you're in the Denver area, you probably know about the farmhouse, the outstanding restaurant they've got down at their facility off of Santa Fe in Littleton. They need your help to keep the farmhouse kicking during this time. They're still offering curbside service. They're even offering, I, I think, delivery through some, spot, if, through some spots if you're in the right part of town. But 
If you want to go pick it up, you can go down there. You, you can, if you go down there, get your food, use the code DNVR when you order, get $5 off your meal, 303-803-1380 from 12 to 8 to pick up. They'll bring your to-go order right out to your car. And don't forget about that 15-can sampler that you can get. You can go through our friends over at Drizzly and order that. But if you want Breck beer anywhere in the country, go to the Breck beer locator on the Breck and Ridge Brewery website, and you can find any of your favorites at a local liquor store and local grocery store. That Breck beer locator, it'll ensure that you can get the best in Breck, Breck beer no matter where you are. On the Buffalo trip last year, I found some Breck beer over in a Topps family market not too far from from New Era Field in Buffalo, and it was good to have have a little Breck beer for a, for a cold night in Buffalo. So Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DMVR, and don't forget to patronize the farmhouse if you're in the Denver area. Guys, DraftKings Sportsbook is finally here the wait is over for legal betting to be in Colorado and DraftKings Sportsbook is the place to go and guys sports will be back soon but until then they have everything you could possibly want from every sport that is going on outside of the major ones in the USA because those aren't going on yet but they have everything from Korean baseball to table tennis to this weekend we get the big game we got two goats and two legends going up against each other on the golf course of course tiger peyton versus phil and tom it's going to be epic and they have everything you could possibly imagine to get some skin in the game for that match i mean seriously guys there's so many options go and check them out and download the top rated sportsbooks app DraftKings sportsbook it's one of the best apps out there so user-friendly and guys when you bet $20 on a live bet, you get a free $20. So bet $20 and get 20. So place $20 in bets on the big event this weekend, and you'll get a free $20 live bet. Bet 20, get 20. That is as good as it gets from DraftKings. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code DNBR when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, enter the code DNVR and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right, Mace, shall we talk to the people? Yeah, that was a pretty nice read there, by the way, at the ah, end. Thank you got you. all thank you. the disclaimers in there. I like that. <laughs> Let's get started with Windy City Bronco. When you're looking at the over-under on receivers for next season, how would canceled games factor in? Judy might be an easy over in a 16-game season, but what if it's 12 or 8? And actually, I responded to this in the on, on the podcast page, and I said this is probably going to call, qualify under force majeure. This is basically circumstances beyond anyone's control. In that case, they would almost certainly refund all bets and just cancel everything out. And so that's something to consider on some of these season-long prop bets as well, is that if you don't get a 16-game season, then some of these season-long prop bets may just end up being a wash. 
Yep, exactly. You get your money back. And that's what's great about DraftKings Sportsbook mm-hmm. is it's a legal betting site. Yes. So you don't have to worry about any sketchy things going on. Your money will be fine. And yeah, I, I believe it is. They are all based on a 16-game season. So that just takes some of the risk out. Um, but Mace, of course, would use fancy words like force majeure. <laughs> well, that's actually the legal term for it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what is uh, thrown, that, that's what's thrown around. It's unforeseeable circumstances that prevent someone from filling a contract. Yep. Yep. No, it's just, it's fancy, Mason. Every, I, and I both, both parties, both parties, the, the, the better and the sports book, everyone's off the hook. Yep. And it's yep. like, it never happened. Yep. Exactly. And again, a legit, a legit sports book like DraftKings, you have nothing to worry about with them. They'll take care of you. Yep. Exactly. Triad Bronco says, hey, y'all, just want to throw out some sponsor love real quick. I'm a huge fan of DraftKings Daily Fantasy and have played every week of the NFL season for the past few years. I've been checking out their sports book recently and like the fantasy app, I'm really impressed with how easy it is to use, especially for an idiot like me. No, you're not an idiot. Also, RK, I really am enjoying the DNVR Explains videos y'all have been putting out. It's really explained a lot of questions I've had about sports betting. I only wish it was available in more states, but hey, I'm in West Virginia almost every night, so I can always bet there. I recently found a Breck Brew sampler pack in Greensboro, and with all the due respect to y'all's Strawberry Sky, the real bell of the ball is Hot Peak IPA, the best IPA I've ever had, seriously. With that said, I'll see myself out. God bless. Glad you love the IPA. I admit, I can't do the IPA because... The, the hops and spices in there, it's like throwing a blowtorch down my gullet <laughs> and bad things happen. So I can't do IPAs, but I'm glad you're enjoying that. I'm glad so many people dig IPAs, but uh, it's not something I can have. So I have, I have literally no wisdom on that subject. And that's why I, I tend to stick to just straight up Strawberry Sky rather than a sampler because I want to have a six pack where I know I can drink the entire six pack. Right, exactly. Mark IT Snatch. Hey, guys, since we're riding the Muck Fick Daniels train, let's take it to its logical conclusion. Who are the five worst coaches in team history, and why are the other four better than McDaniels? Oh, of course. So you're going to answer it that way. Uh, <laughs> force us there. You have to go back to the 60s for most of these guys when the Broncos were struggling and they were an underfunded franchise. Now, one thing about Josh McDaniels, the reason why he is the worst to me is that he brought the franchise into disrepute with the videotaping scandal, illicit videotaping of that 49ers practice at Wembley Stadium in 2010. Vance Joseph has a lower winning percentage. <laughs> think Josh yeah. McDaniels 344 yeah. to Josh McDaniels is 393 so I'm putting McDaniels at the bottom because of the malfeasance the miscreants call it what you will the others in the bottom five are Vance Joseph Max Speedy back in the 60s the Broncos were 619 Jack Faulkner, again, 1960s. The Broncos were 922-1 under him. Uh, someone who's also right there in terms of win percentage is Frank Filchok, the first coach in 60 and 61. But I'm going to give him a pass just as the first coach in Broncos history. 
when they were starting out and nobody really know, knew what the hell they were doing. A controversial name to throw in this list, but I think it's valid just because you're looking for a bottom five, is Lou Saban. Oh. Now, Saban was the coach from 67 to 71. He drafted Floyd Little, the first AFL-NFL common draft, so the Broncos didn't have to worry about not being able to sign that first-round pick, something that, that had been a problem before then. But Saban came in with a lot of big expectations, a lot of big hopes. They didn't pan out, could never get the quarterback position right in his seasons with the Broncos, and just put the cherry on top of the Sunday. <laughs> early in the 1971 season when he infamously said after a 10-10 tie with Miami in week one, quote, half a loaf is better than none. Uh-huh, the half a loaf game. Yep. <laughs> and that was not what Broncos fans wanted to hear. They wanted their team, which was going into year five of loose Saban's stewardship. So the pressure was on. They wanted their team to go forward to try to get the win at home over the Don and led Miami Dolphins. It didn't happen. And then, of course, the Broncos lost seven of their next nine games. Yeah. Yeah. And that, it, the, the that, was, good, that was the end of Nick Saban, or Lou Saban, pardon me. The, I wish it was Nick Saban. The, the good thing about all of this is we're only talking about one. I guess we're talking about two in the past couple of decades with Vance right. and with McDaniels. But – it's not like it's, it's been chocked full of that recently, which is good. Well, what's interesting, if you look at the Broncos coaches in terms of winning percentage, the two highest of all time in Bronco history are actually in the past decade. Mm, John yeah. Fox. John Fox has the highest winning percentage in Broncos history, followed by Gary Kubiak. Wow. And that's Red Miller, Mike Shanahan, Dan Reeves. But John Elway doesn't know how to pick out coaches, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. You know what? I mean, you look at John Elway's history. If Vic Fangio works out on coaches, John Elway would be three for four, which, of yep. course, is 75%. <laughs> there we go. Love it. <laughs> Next get that one's in there. for you, Mace. Yes, our good friend, Count Locula. Folks that say they don't know what to think of Locke often fail to mention the following. He went 4-1, and one, including a dominant road win. His wide receivers were rather subpar, save for Cortland Sutton. A rookie tight end that had trouble tracking the ball in midair. An O-line held together with bailing wire and duct tape. No pass-catching running back and a rather average to subpar run game. A good D that was missing Chubb and Callahan and Bosby and Chris Harris Jr. that was tr- clearly losing gas. Oh, yeah, and a play caller that thought running tight end end arounds was the answer, and they almost never let him have the full playbook. How is there nothing but enthusiasm for what he did? I'm not even a QB guy, and I'm excited. Love the count. <laughs> it's a great point, and when you look at it like that and write it out just like that, it just it reminds you just how impressive it all was. Yeah, the the thing is though, a I, I don't I don't do the quarterback win loss thing, right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw that throw that out. But you had a play caller that was kind of 
constricting things on or for Drew Locke and protecting him, which was good to help him develop. But the questions revolve around whether he can take those next steps forward and whether he can keep growing and adjust to what defenses are going to throw at him in 2020 and how he counters those adjustments to him. So I think you can be optimistic, but be realistic in knowing that we're only at about chapter two of this novel here. And we don't know what direction it's going to go in long-term. You can be hopeful, but we'll see. There are a lot of guys that have started hopeful and haven't taken those next steps. You're optimistic about what you hear in terms of, teammates what they're saying melvin gordon had some kind words as well in that interview with ian rapaport but the proof will be in the pudding when the lights go on and the games count well mace do we know what type of book we're reading and we're in chapter two is it is it a that's the thing we don't know mystery a drama comedy we don't know what it's going to be we don't know if it's going to be that that story of ultimate triumph Or if it's going to be one of those novels where you just see the protagonist get screwed over in the end. Oh, gosh. I hope it's We don't know yet. <laughs> hip, hip, you rage chiming in. Hey, gents. I really like the discussion on The Last Dance where Mace went into the history of the Jerry Krause and his memoir. It is always interesting to hear the history of how a player and the league has transformed since Jordan came into the league. On a Broncos note, you guys mentioned a historical podcast about the Broncos as a potential medium to tell a story. Do you guys think a story on Darren Williams could be a possibility? The only thing I could relate to this type of podcast is an American fiasco, the story about the 1998 U.S. men's national team. Also, did the Broncos ever retire his number or anything to memorialize memorialize him, Darren Williams? As always, keep up the great work. Go Broncos and go DNVR. The biggest memorial the Broncos have for him is the Darren Williams Teen Center over at the Team Boys and Girls Club over in Montbello. And there is a statue to Darren Williams that is erected over there. They weren't going to retire number 27. He'd only been with the team a couple of years. And obviously there's a lot associated with number 27. For example, Steve Atwater wore that earlier. So I don't think it really would have been in the equation for the Broncos to retire 27 for Darren Williams when Steve Atwater had worn it so well in the previous decade. So that's, that's, wasn't going to be in play. The biggest thing is over at the Boys and Girls Club. I will say this. I love American Fiasco, that podcast on the 1998 men's national team. And one reason why it works is it's a podcast slash documentary about something going horribly wrong. And quite often, failure is more interesting to break down than success. Yeah. So I know there are some who don't want to hear it, but a podcast on the Josh McDaniels era <laughs> and sort of what came then at the end, focusing on what came out of that. That's one that would be fun to do. I think I'll tell you what, I would be very, very interested in that. There's no doubt about that. So Mace, you're telling me that this drew lock book that we're in chapter two, we we hope it's kind of boring then, right? Because the bad things are what's entertaining. It depends on what your perspective is. If you're hoping for success, then, bo- then it's not boring. It's terrific. 
<laughs> Maybe I'm hoping it's boring because I tend to be drawn more to the tales of things that go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Sir James Radio saying, day 28 of the Jersey Challenge. We're on to our final division, the NFC South. Today, we are doing the Carolina Panthers. Before I inevitably choose Christian McCaffrey, I want to point out that the Panthers have made a lot of good moves this offseason and have really have a lot of good choices for the Jersey Challenge. I've always been a fan of Robbie Anderson. Why? Jeremy Chin is another obvious choice. P.J. Walker and Teddy Bridgewater are awesome picks as quarterbacks as well. And we have to mention former Broncos, Zach Kerr and Matt Paradis. I actually didn't know Zach Kerr went signed there. With that being said, I simply cannot go against the machine that is McCaffrey. You know what? Is it inevitable that Brandon McManus someday is going to be a Carolina Panther playing for Matt Rule? Uh. Because the Panthers have six Temple Owls on their roster right now. Wow. How many were there before this offseason? Um, I think one. Wow. Then, yeah, it probably is inevitable. Yeah. Six Temple Owls, because Matt Rule, of course, coached there before he went to Baylor. It's it's fascinating because there are only three Baylor Bears. They're all rookies. Three oh Baylor gosh. Bears, six Temple Owls. My choice for the jersey for the Panthers, it's going to be an obscure one. Of course. It's the last Panther left from when I covered the team. <laughs> That's pretty cool. J.J. Jansen, long snapper, number 44. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. I love that. <laughs> and I'm going to go with the tiniest connection that I have, and that is, of course, Christian McCaffrey, Colorado native, just like myself. How can I not rep him? And he's an awesome guy as well. So, yeah, Sir James Radio, sorry I don't have an interesting choice, but like you, just have to go with the inevitable. Another choice that'd be worth uh, considering. I like Teddy Bridgewater. Good dude. Good quarterback. Also, I know Broncos fans don't have the highest opinion of him. Michael Schofield. Hmm. He's put together a solid career. Yep. He had one awful, awful, Mm -hmm. awful game. And he overcame it. And he grew from it. Michael Schofield is probably somebody the Broncos parted ways with too soon yep because of the image after one game yep and when he was playing out of position because he yeah. was playing he was playing tackle yep no Schofield is a much better guard he's become a solid guard was a good interior presence for the Chargers the last few years it's been really cool to see how he's gotten his career back on back on its feet and when all is said and done Michael Schofield could end up having a nice little 10-year run as an interior lineman in the NFL not too shabby yep and he's a he's a really good dude as well so it's a guy that I've always pulled for probably unlike most of Broncos country like you said Mace yep Tucson Bronco Mario hello boys about the Judy production talk Ben Albright said the Broncos could have him play a lot of slot with Tim Patrick and Cortland on the outsides and Hamler would slowly work his way up into the offense how much of his production would be limited by this? Anyway, that Madden League sounds really fun. I don't know the requirements in terms of joining, but I would love to be a part of it. Do let me know on the details. Uh, reach out to Timmy from Sweden. I don't have his email off the top of my head, but I'll pull it up for you too, Son Broncomara, and read it later in this podcast. Um, but if Judy were to play in the slot, that would hurt 
obviously KJ Hamler's production. I think that could actually help Jerry Judy's production in year one. Yeah, because he's, just, he's still going to play quite a bit if he's in the slot because Pat Shermer is going to put a heavy emphasis on three wide receiver formations as he's always done throughout his stops, especially the last few years. That being said, oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually rather see Deshaun Hamilton as the slot in that scenario and then Judy playing instead of Tim Patrick on the outside because I think Deshaun Hamilton's skill set actually fits the slot a little bit better. Really? Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I I just don't see this situation really happening. I mean, maybe it happens early in training camp, but you used a first and a second round pick on wide receivers. Those guys are going to be the ones seeing the field, in my opinion. Yep. Sausage Sanga Harry. Mace! So good to hear you and the boys talk about the NRL down here in Australia. I, as with many others, and are so excited about sports starting up again. The reason I chose the Denver Broncos as my NFL team is because I'm a Brisbane local and have loved the NRL Broncos since I was a child. So when it came to choosing a team, when I just played Madden, the choice was simple. Go Broncos and Broncos. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's a, that's a pretty cool connection. And speaking of the Broncos really quick, that email for Timmy is Timmy, T-I-M-M-Y, from Sweden at gmail.com. You email him, you get on that wait list, Tucson Bronco Mario. And anyone that wants to join the Madden League, email Timmy from Sweden at gmail.com. By the way, it is interesting how for the Brisbane Broncos, the word mark in which Broncos is written, it's not exactly the same as the one the Denver Broncos use, but it's similar. <laughs> you see it and you do a double take you're like whoa yep you certainly do man that is that is crazy you know what we should do we should have people vote on which horse head they prefer because of the you have the brisbane broncos horse head and it actually includes part of the neck as well mm. and the horses and the horse's uh nose is sort of uh down toward the ground a little bit more than the bronco horse head yeah, I would like that. We definitely should. And that'll be a shout out to Sasha Sanga Harry. Yes. T Meek says, the boys, random question. If you could have spent all of quarantine with one current NFL player, who would it be? Excluding Visca for Phil, uh, or excluding Visca or Phil for RK and Trevor for Zach. Go DNVR. Oh, oh boy. Man. You know I mean, what? <sighs> I'm not sure there's a single NFL player I'd want to spend all of quarantine with. I'm sorry. <laughs> But this is this is just people in general. I think uh, beyond my immediate family, I don't know that there's anybody I would want to spend all of quarantine with. There are ver there are very few people in this world that I wouldn't get tired of, and that wouldn't get tired of me. Well, that's fair. So, that's, boy. In terms of entertainment, I mean, Vaughn would just always be entertaining. Um, yeah, but he had, co he had COVID-19. I was going to say, but you can't do that. Of course, if you survived <laughs> it, if you had it and survived it, that would mean that you, you know, hopefully had uh, immunity to a future infection. Right. That's, that's true. Um, that's the key thing is to survive it. Right. <laughs> exactly. He's not current, but Peyton Manning, without a doubt. That, that'd be a guy that I could definitely do quarantine with. That would be entertaining. It would be. <laughs> and he was the name I thought of as well. Yeah. But you wonder, like, 
Peyton is so persnickety about things. <laughs> yeah. There would come a point where where you and Peyton drove each other up the wall. <laughs> yep. I guess I just have to match his persnicketiness and I mean, follow I, the I, rules. I, with with Peyton, I think we'd have a good time watching Caddyshack and old eighties movies and just quoting them nonstop. <laughs> or having some discussion about the nineteen seventy eight Saints Bucks game. <laughs> yes you would <laughs> but uh I, I don't know that, that would sustain itself <laughs> man it would be entertaining though Iceman, hey amigos the first 44 minutes covering betting for three rookie wide receivers hmm so rk you think tb12 is really finished well what do you three amigos think when you hear tb12 statistically ranked at the fourth best downfield passer in 2019 right behind the super bowl mvp patrick mahomes the second at number three Go America, Broncos, Andrew, Tom Brady, Mace, TB12, Zach, DNVR, Bar. <laughs> yeah, 43% uh, completion rate on uh, downfield passes, right? Wow. But what I would want to know is how many of those passes are between the, ha- between the hash marks, between the numbers. So in other words – down the middle or down the seam and how many are outside because the thing that comes into play with Tom Brady is that you, he can throw probably up to say 30 or 35 yards, which means if he's going downfield, it's got to be in the middle of the field. It can't be outside. Hmm. Interesting. Well, now he's got Gronk back. That'll only help him throw, throw better in the middle of the field too. And Iceman, I agree with you. I think, uh, I think RK is going to be biting his tongue this year when Tampa Tampa Bay is lighting it up. Mm. <laughs> Maybe not I'm against the ner- Broncos, though. I'm still nervous because he's going up against this thing called Buck Luck that predates him. <laughs> <laughs> but he's Tom Brady, Mace. He's going to be fine. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> you know, Johnny Unitas as a, as a San Diego Charger was pretty terrible. So was Joe Namath as a Los Angeles Ram. Yeah, but Peyton Manning as a Denver Bronco certainly wasn't. Uh-huh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Squeaky bum time. Hey, peeps, today I wanted to start with the 75 reasons <laughs> I love the Broncos. Ha-ha, <laughs> just joking with you. I really feel we need to go back to the Dean logo on the helmet. It just feels right. I don't know how else to explain it. I really like the color rush orange tops. Put them with white pants. They would look sick. I was thinking that we would probably have to go with a lighter blue for the alternates because they would look too much like the Bears uniform with our current blues. Have a great day and a wonderful weekend. And thank you for all you do in helping us all squeak through this moment, this defining moment, pardon me, of our country's history. Well, thanks so much for riding with us, Squeaky Bum Time, and giving us a laugh with a name like Squeaky Bum. And and just all you guys do for rolling with us every day and providing us with laughs and keeping this community going. And and I agree with you. You know, I, I don't know too much about uniforms, but I do know that incorporating the D back on the helmet is just the right way to go. Here's something to consider, and it's just popped in my mind from a soccer perspective. Sometimes for the change kit, the you know, the second or third uniform, soccer teams will go with a different color scheme than the primary color scheme for the club. So what I'm saying is this. Squeaky Bum Time makes a good point that if you have a blue uniform as an alternate and it's navy blue, it will look like that of the Chicago Bears. So what if the Broncos 
primary color scheme was orange and navy blue. So they're, they'd have orange tops, white pants, white tops, orange pants, and then navy blue was the trim color. And when they went with a blue alternate, what if they actually went with a light blue yeah. jersey yeah. with orange trim? Yeah, I, I really like light blue being incorporated. I would personally like it incorporated more than the navy, but I understand that it's probably going to be the navy in there. Now, one thing that is interesting is to kind of conceive of what a lighter blue jersey would look like. You'd have to do it right. Like, I would not want titan style light blue with say navy blue accent accents i'd want light blue with orange accents yeah. orange orange trim yeah, yeah i agree yeah, it's got to be that and the other thing to consider zach is this if the nfl gets rid of the one helmet shell rule for 2021 as has been rumored for the last couple of months here then you could do that navy blue alternate jersey with a navy or, or light blue alternate jersey pardon me with a light blue helmet oh my goodness I or you could do just a, it. or you could have the alternate uniform just be the straight up throwback oh to the I, 1980s and 90s i love it <laughs> i love it and mace we're talking about squeaky bums if you want to get a squeaky bum yourself, you got to check out Manscaped where the Lawnmower 3.0 will clean up the family jewels, but you can also take it around to the backside and do any lawn mowing that needs to be done there to get that squeaky clean bum. So, guys, make sure to check out Manscaped. Their Lawnmower 3.0 can take care of any needs that you have below the belt. Anything, guys, I'm telling you, with that 7,000 RPM motor and quiet stroke technology, an LED light to go places that typically uh, aren't seen by light, and a battery that can last up to 90 minutes. So, let's say it is a jungle down there. In 90 minutes, you can take care of that in one charge. And, guys, might I recommend the Perfect Package 3.0 because you want a perfect package, so you might as well get the Perfect Package 3.0. It comes with the Crop Preserver, which is an anti-chafing deodorant. It comes with the Crop Reviver, which is a spray-on toner. And it comes with the Travel Bag, disposable shaving mats, and the comfiest set of anti-chafing boxers you've ever worn. If you want a perfect package, Get the perfect package and it will do it for you. And use that code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase plus free shipping. That's Manscaped. Check them out. And if you're feeling smooth in the undercarriage, that probably will help you if you decide to go out and play golf this weekend. <laughs> Doing some walking, it's going to be a bit more comfortable down there. But maybe you just want to stay at home. That's where our friends at WGT Golf come in. WGT Golf, not only the most popular golf game in the world, but also the official gaming partner of DNVR. You can download WGT and join the DNVR Clubhouse by going to, to dnvrgolf.com. WGT Golf is the most realistic free golf game loved by more than 20 million players around the world. You can play it anywhere. Play it at home. Play it on the go on your phone. I like to play it on my iPad. You can talk about the most memorable recent course you've played. You can talk about your best match or best shot that you've played. You can play close to the hole or full stroke play on world-famous golf courses, including Pebble Beach, Beth Page Black, St. Andrews. My personal favorite, the Ocean Course at Kiowa Island, reminds me of a place I love to go every year. You can compete head-to-head -head with other players. And, of course, DMVR community members, we had – 
a tournament last weekend. We're going to have another tournament coming up here in, a, in about a week and a half. So make sure you join us for those. And they have Top Golf Game Mode. Of course, WGT is partnered with Top Golf. It's part of, uh, part of the same family. Can't maybe get out to Top Golf right now, but you can get that Top Golf experience shooting, you know, hitting for the targets right here on WGT Golf. Make sure you go to dmvrgolf.com and download WGT Golf today. Next one coming in from Cam Walter. Well, boys, I learned something last week. Never comment before 6 a.m. By the time you all read my comment last week, I couldn't even remember why I thought a Madden simulation and the national media was at all related. Bad comment, that's on me. No, 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 no. Cam Walter, I like that. Because you know what? I, I actually saw those Madden simulations for just one of those weeks the night before and thought, wow, this is interesting. So I'm really happy that you commented that, Cam. Uh, there, there's never a bad comment in this community. He goes on and says, my hopefully less embarrassing question today is, when do we start hitting the panic button regarding a long-term deal on Simmons getting done? Not saying I'm there just yet, but possibly getting close. Thanks for the great content, boys. Cheers. Well, this fantastic question, Cam. Yeah, the Broncos, when they've gotten long-term deals done, it's usually been right before the July 15th deadline. So I'm not hitting the panic button until about July 13th. Yep, exactly. Uh, July 13th, it'll ramp up. July 14th, uh, it'll really ramp up, and they'll probably get a deal done the morning of July 15th, just the way John Elway goes. If it wasn't uh, this regime, I would say um, not panic button anytime soon, but you you could get a little curious about it. But just with the way John Elway has done business, you don't have to worry until there's no deal in the deadline well, passes. Well, are you prepared for the panicky tweets from people complaining about the Broncos not signing their draft picks in May? <laughs> um, I yeah. hate those with yeah. the fire of a thousand suns. They are so dumb. Oh, well, Carolina's signing their draft picks. Why haven't we signed our draft picks? What are we waiting for? Ah! <laughs> Who freaking cares? They're slotted. Yep. It, it's the easiest thing to get done. Look, there was a freak out about Drew and Dalton. Understandably so, considering that was right before training camp. Um, yeah, that's really done. That's really when you have to worry. And even then, it's it would be a shock for anyone to do um, what uh, – oh, what's his name? Oh, Joey Bosa did with with yeah. the Chargers. It would be a shock for, for that to happen. So you don't really have to worry about these rookie contracts not getting done. Yep. Drew Locke, hello again, gentlemen. Sounds like Neil Diamond. Hello again. Hello. <laughs> Not really a good Neil Diamond. If I'm gonna do a true Neil Diamond, I gotta, I gotta sing like I'm straining to take a dump. <laughs> well, do we get that? Hello again. Hello. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, now, I should not use... Neil Diamond. I'm actually a little bit of a Neil Diamond fan. Do you need I to apologize. use the restroom now? No, I'm good. <laughs> I apologize for this semi-long comment, but Zach's story about getting destroyed on a punt return in high school inspired me to tell you a story. I played football in high school, and I was decent. Not the best player on the team, but not the worst player either. My biggest problem was I was pretty small, not in height, but in girth. I was playing defensive back, and the offense ran a simple pitch play to the outside. I got myself in perfect position to make the tackle, but then got absolutely obliterated by a blindside block, sending me probably six yards into the sideline. When I landed on the ground, I was a little woozy, but what scared me the most was I could only see a small beam of light. Everything else was black. Mm. 
After a while, my vision suddenly came back. I was relieved and took a few plays off to regain my composure. I found out later from one of my teammates that the reason my vision was bad right after the hit was not because I had a concussion or anything like that, but instead because when the guy hit me, he hit me so hard that my helmet turned on my head and I was looking out of my ear hole. Uh, Oh my gosh. My teammates thought it was hilarious that I've grown to look back fondly on the memory as well. Sorry again for the long comment, but thank you for letting me tell you my story. You're not alone, Zach. Hope <laughs> all your families are staying happy and healthy. Oh, Drew Lockett, thanks for uh, thanks for joining that family of elite company there with me. Man, that uh, I can't imagine what a helmet turning the wrong way on your head would feel like. That sounds awful. Oh, man, that would hurt. Yes, it would. Man, I'm glad you're okay. Butch Cassidy chiming in. Who has a more productive year, Frank Gore or, or, or Rob Gronkowski or Noah Fant? Had how and how would you measure that? Do the Broncos have the best tight end room in the league? Okay, I'll answer the last question first. No, they don't. Correct. Because you just mentioned Gronk. Tampa Bay has Rob Gronkowski, OJ Howard, and Cameron Brait. That's pretty darn good. For overall talent in the tight end room, the Bucks have lapped the field. Yep, they certainly have. And then from there on, I mean, you got to put elite tight ends. Um, even if they just have one above what the Broncos have. George Kittle in San Francisco, that's better than the Broncos. Um, Travis Kelsey in Kansas City, that's that's better than the Broncos. And we, we need to see Alberto. You know, he I'm very – I think he has an extremely high upside with his connection with Drew, his physical traits, um, what he's done with Drew in the past. I think he has a very high upside. But he was a, a fourth-round guy, so we need, we need to see him. And Nick Vanette. Uh, is a good blocker. So you got you got Noah Fant and how he stacks up against the other ones in the league. He he's not in in the top five yet, but can he? Absolutely, he can be. Yeah, fluff stuff. Hey guys, is it possible we've offered Jason Peters a contract, but he just doesn't want to compete with Bowles? <laughs> Peters is thirty eight, and this is likely his last contract. Wouldn't it make more sense for him to wait until somebody starting left tackle gets hurt in camp? Well, buff stuff, I, I kind of thought that your question was a joke, um, which just shows how I view that situation. If they sign I'm Jason s- Peters, there's no yeah. competing. Jason Peters is the starting left tackle. You may be trading Garrett yeah. Bowles for pennies on the dollar if you sign Jason Peters. I'm sorry, buff stuff, but I almost started laughing because <laughs> if you bring in Jason Peters, he's the guy. Yeah. And I don't think Jason Peters would particularly be worried about a competition with Garrett Bowles anyway. He'd probably think of Garrett Bowles in a competition in the same terms that Phil Hartman as Frank Sinatra thought of people when he said, I got chunks of guys like you in my stool. (laughs) That's probably how he thinks of the notion of a, a guy who's led the league in holding penalties over the last three years, being able to compete with him. Yeah. Compared with a, a multi-time pro bowler, what, like eight time pro bowler, nine time pro bowler. Oh, Jason Peters is legitimately in the hall of fame conversation. Yeah. <laughs> based on yeah. his career accomplishments to this point. And it certainly doesn't hurt that Jason Peters has the big ring on his finger from being a part of the Eagles for their Super Bowl 50 to win but two-time first team all pro four-time second team all pro nine-time pro bowler and also a member of the all-decade team of the nfl for the 2010s that's a a resume that is going to get him 
into the room of selectors for at least discussion for being in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, so he wouldn't be worried there at all. Next one coming in from DNVR for life. Hey, fellas, a thought came to my mind when you were talking about checking the boxes for these, this offseason, and it made me think about what potential boxes we might have to check for next year. I know it is projecting, but I'm just curious what you guys think our weakness will be during the season. Everyone knows left tackle is a weakness, so pick three other positions. Thanks for your hard work. Hmm. Interesting. Here we go. I did not have this one in my list this year, but I'm going to put it there for next year, and that is inside linebacker because Todd Davis's contract will finally be up. Yep, Todd Davis is going to hit. Cre- that's going to create a need there. I also think some of this is going to depend on player health. Let's go back to Justin Simmons. If the Broncos don't get him signed to a long-term contract safety is going to be a huge need Yep, because I don't see at that point Simmons being back for 2021 and beyond if they can't come to a long-term deal right now and Kareem Jackson would be heading into the final year of his deal so safety would be looming as something to watch defensive line yeah. Remember, you have Jarrell Casey, who's basically year-to-year. Shelby Harris on a one-year deal. Now you can bring Jarrell Casey back easily, and maybe you find a way to reward Shelby Harris. But defensive line is also another position that, to keep your eye on as well. Corner could, could be very ta- well be a need could be as talking well. About, yep, could be talking about corner. But what yeah. is interesting is we're talking about beyond left tackle and maybe even right tackle as well because if Jawan James is hurt, you're probably getting out of that contract in the coming off season. So beyond offensive tackles, it appears to me, Zach, any needs you're talking about for 2021 are on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, pretty incredible. Vic Fangio will be able to have a big payday that he wants for his side of the ball. That That is incredible. Really not many concerns on the offensive side of the ball if Drew Locke pans out. Joe and Aurora. What a name, Joe. He says, thinking about taking the over for Chris Godwin this year in receiving yards. What do you think? Tom is a much better quarterback than Jameis. Easy money. Well, what I'll say is that's a very Joe and Aurora thinking there. Oh man. What a, what a great comment, Joe and Aurora. And way to be timely on that. Yeah, we got into this yesterday, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think uh, I think that's exactly think, what he's uh, he's just I know. With us. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna be the contrarian here if he's gonna go with with Chris Godwin on on the over because Tom Brady does not have many twelve hundred yard receivers. No, he doesn't. Sorry, <laughs> he doesn't. The other Ryan, this my is boys. For you. Thank you. <laughs> Yesterday's discussion about Vance Joseph Wade. Phillips and Kyle Shanahan brought to my recollection a debate that has ensued with some Broncos fans since Joseph's hiring as head coach in 2017. There are some fans who assert as fact that Shanahan had been hired as Denver's head coach. He would have retained Phillips as defensive coordinator. I could not find any reports substantiating, pardon me, this argument. I was under the impression that the Broncos did not want to pay Phillips the price he was asking to remain on as D.C., regardless of who was made head coach. Joseph was also Phillips' defensive backs coach in Houston, so it seems like Phillips would have been a logical fit to remain on as D.C. in Denver, paired with Joseph. To me, 
Phillips's departure was bound to happen regardless of who the Broncos head coach was in 2017, whether that was Gary Kubiak, Joseph or Shanahan, because the Broncos didn't want to pay Phillips. As the insiders, especially Mace, worked for the Broncos at that time, was Phillips out as D.C. No matter, no matter what in 2017 due to his asking price. It can't be said enough, but I appreciate you each for your unique and collective perspectives and material that you provide us with each day. DNV Army salute. Uh, from my perspective, at least, and then Mace, we'll get your perspective. It really just felt like, yeah, but Wade, we, you were just waiting on his contract to expire. He wasn't coming back. Yeah, it, it wasn't just uh, what you were going to have to pay him. I think the Broncos were ready to move on. They really did like Joe Woods yep. going into the 2017 season, and they wanted to give him an opportunity. They also looked at how Wade Phillips' defenses typically declined over time, something that was fairly endemic to him over the course of his career. They were always great in the first year a little bit off in the second year, and then that third year tended to struggle a little bit when they got to the third year. So those were concerns. Now, that being said, Zach, me, if it were my call, you weren't expecting Gary Kubiak to, to leave after 2016. That was never part of the Broncos' planning. Right. I would have just made Wade Phillips head coach if he would have taken the job. Wow. And wow. Wade is very hard on himself. He'll, he'll be the first to tell you that – he wasn't a great head coach, but the man did guide three different teams to the playoffs. Yeah. Is he someone who was going to get you the Super Bowl as a head coach? Probably not. But in a situation where you were facing something unexpected, because John Elway did not hire Gary Kubiak thinking he'd only be a two-year head coach. Right. He thought he had his guy for the next several years. Mm-hmm. Of course, with Kubiak's health concerns, it did not work out that way. My call, if it had been my organization facing something unexpected, I would have gone with Wade for 2017 just to kind of steady things and then see where you go from there. That, that would have been my choice, Wade Phillips, head coach. It would have been a popular pick, I think, uh, by a lot of fans and players as well, Mace. LDJ coming in. Hey, guys, I love Mace. Mace took a simple question about a writer's feedback and gave extensive feedback. I don't know how you do it. It's so hard searching through football outsider archives, but thanks, Mace. So, welcome. two points I brought the interesting question Ryan had to my buddies in our Bronco chat. Has there ever been an athletic, super talented quarterback with lock skill set and leadership that wasn't successful? We thought long and hard. The closest we got was Vince Young. Jameis was in consideration, but I don't know about being a leader, but Vince Young was the closest, however, even though Vince's teammates loved him. Did the organization love him because Jeff Fisher never wanted him and he was cheaper and apparent and apparent about not wanting him his whole career? Hmm. Second, was I heard Brandon Marshall on the radio and Jerry Judy is training in Miami and B Marsh facility and he has nothing but high praise for him. They also spoke to how Judy is not just a phenomenal route runner, but a sound technician that he has basis his releases on studying his opponent's weaknesses when they're trying to cover. He exposes it and does it over and over till DBs get pissed off and make huge mistakes. That was insane to know. Know something interesting. Was branded, said that he was super high on Cortland, and conceded that he saw a lot of himself 
skill set wise in Cortland, but he thinks Cortland is far more polished than he was. That was high praise. But he said he reached out to Cortland and wanted him to train with him. Uh, Cortland went elsewhere. That was interesting. I see a lot of Brandon Marshall in Cortland. Why wouldn't Cortland want to train with him? Maybe Cortland Sutton just likes the training setup that he has and doesn't want to change it. I don't think it's any kind of uh, negative judgment on Cortland that he wouldn't want to trade with, with Brandon Marshall. The yeah, receiver, I, Brandon Marshall, by the way, just for clarification's sake. Right, yeah, and I don't see that as, as being a slight or anything bad mm-hmm. toward Brandon Marshall or Cortland disrespecting him. Yeah, not at all. I mean, I, now um, Brandon Marshall's based in, in Florida, of course, played at uh, UCF and uh, Jerry Judy's training in Miami and uh, seeing Brandon Marshall. Cortland Sutton's more of a Texas guy. Right. Might yep. be a, just – might be as simple as that. Right. That Cortland wants to be in Texas or in Colorado and not in Miami. Yeah, very, very fair. And I think last one coming in here from Brian. He says, yo, shout out to RK and dropping his first 50 burger in the DNVR Madden League. TLDR, Kyler is the GOAT. <laughs> Congrats to that, RK. Oh, man. I wish I could get into this video game thing, but I just don't have time for it. <laughs> I mean, sorry. that's that's how I'm feeling, especially over the mm-hmm. next couple of weeks. It is, uh, it's it's a crazy couple of weeks, but then I hope to be in it. And guys, Davidson's is the place to go to get your alcohol. They have two locations: one in Centennial, one in Highlands Ranch. They're locally owned and have a massive selection, including our personal favorite Breck Brews. Guys, these their sales floor is open, and they are so knowledgeable. Uh, anything you want, you can just go in, ask, and they will be able to find it. And if you don't want to go in, they're still doing curbside pickup or delivery straight to your house. So make sure to download their app in order to join their loyalty program, see all the incredible deals they have, get all of that knowledge you get on the sales floor right in the palm of your hand. Literally any way you want to get your booze, they can take care of it. So make sure to check out Davidson's and supporting our partners is supporting us. So when you go to them, make sure to tweet at us and them to show them that you're supporting us. Well, that'll do it today. A terrific Thursday. Uh, Mace, I had an absolute blast. Thank you guys so much for rolling with us every single day. It means the world to us when you comment, when you tweet, when you when you just listen to us. It means so much. We're so thankful that you're rolling with us. And we got one more before the weekend. So we'll be back with you on Friday. But for Andrew Mason, I'm Zach Stevens. Have a terrific Thursday.